Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to The Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Kettle One Botanical. One of my goals for the year is to spend more time with friends who I haven't seen nearly enough of. Preferably, these catch-ups happen over a good drink or two. For these occasions, I like to have our home bar stocked up with Kettle One Botanical. If you haven't tried it yet, it's vodka distilled with real botanicals. It has a pretty fresh taste and makes an excellent base for cocktails. If you're looking for recipe ideas, I highly suggest trying the Botanical Breeze or Lady Kombucha Cooler from Goop.com. The other reason we like Kettle One Botanical is because it's made with non-GMO grain and doesn't contain sugar or artificial sweeteners. They've got three varietals, cucumber and mint, grapefruit and rose, and peach and orange blossom. To shop for Kettle One Botanical, head to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Dan Shapiro is the founder and director of the Harvard International Negotiation Program, and an associate professor in psychology at Harvard Medical School McLean Hospital. His specialty is conflict resolution. He's worked with government leaders, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and families. He's the author of Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. And that's what we're talking about today. How do you resolve the most difficult conflicts, whether it's personal, professional, or political in nature? The next time you find yourself in a conflict situation... Try appreciating the other side's perspective. Asking a question, you know, help me understand where you're coming from. You know, I really don't fully get it and I want to understand what's behind this. To move toward understanding and appreciating the other side's perspective can really unlock emotional deadbolts Mm -hmm. in, in, in a relationship. 
I learned a lot about this from Dan. So let's get right into it. Okay, so you help negotiate Middle East peace, and you work with couples, and you work with corporations and people within corporations. Like, how did you get there? Like, did you, when you were 18, were you like, I want to do conflict resolution? (laughs) (laughs) The honest answer, I don't know. Uh, I've always been fascinated with how the human mind works. I remember back to sixth grade, my little science project was trying to figure out who in my class was left-brained and who was right-brained. And I put together this little assessment instrument to try and figure that out. I'm sure it was totally not reliable, had no utility to it. But I've always been fascinated. How do we tick? What makes us tick? And what makes us tick or not tick together? Yeah. So... I remember that book just reminds me drawing on the left. Is it drawing on the right side of the brain or drawing? I don't remember. But I trust you. (laughs) I'm I'm impressed that you knew that there were right and left sides of the brain and had that level of awareness when you were a kid, because I feel like I certainly didn't. And did you start in your professional career? Did you start at the top in the most highly charged sort of conflicts? Or did you arrive there gradually over time after you were like, wow, I'm actually really good at helping people Mm. understand what's at stake help them dismantle their identity or understand their identity? Like, what did that look like? How did this all come about? Yes. So when I was in high school, I was fascinated with peer counseling, Mm. which is kids learning how to help other kids communicate more effectively. And long story short, when I was in junior high school, we had living with my family, a student from Hungary, Mm. Falus Andras, and he and I became best friends. And a few years later, when the wall collapsed in Eastern and Central Europe, I was thinking about my friend Andy and how could I help Andy? And I realized that under communism, there was one whole way of dealing with conflict, which was the government tells the people what to do. The parents tell the kids what to do. It's very top down. Right. And in this democratic world, it's very different. It's an open form of communication. And so I started what was initially a small program teaching kids how to listen and communicate more effectively. Mm. And that work brought me to Eastern and Central Europe, in part due to Andy. I then got involved in working with refugees in Serbia and Croatia and Macedonia, witnessing the effects of war Mm. and thinking, boy, we need some better ways to deal with conflict in our world than picking up a machine gun or machete and using it. Totally. Wise work. I mean, it's true. And and conflict is one of those unavoidable through lines. Like how, I don't know if there are even stats on this, but how how much conflict do you think that we, it's small conflicts, like how much do we typically encounter in the course of our lives? Or is it entirely dependent on our like ability to get riled? Well, I think we negotiate all the time. You know, since the day you were born and cried for milk, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been negotiating. And and some people haven't changed their style of behavior very much since then, but most of us have improved. So we're dealing with difference all the time. I think that mere realization can be very empowering Mm. because you suddenly realize every conversation with your spouse, where do we go for dinner tonight? Should we let the kid play, you know, our our 13 year old play Fortnite or not? Right. It's all a negotiation. And then you can start thinking through more strategically, honestly, authentically, but strategically, how do we deal with our differences most effectively? Right. And I would imagine 
that there are certain patterns, right, from childhood on that we exhibit in conflict or when, when our, is it, is it when your security, is that your identity? When, mm. when your security is threatened, is that when people tend to like flare in conflict that makes something that's a conversation into something that's actually like an intense negotiation? We all have our conflict patterns, you know, so some of us are accommodators. Right. We give in all the time. <laughs> you know? Others of us are confronters. Every time somebody approaches you with a problem, no, 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 this is your fault. This is not mine. We all have our conflict styles. Right. Some of those styles work better with one another than others. Two confronters married with to one another, good luck. That's a fun marriage. You know, right. very lively. On the other hand, a confronter married to an accommodator, the accommodator is going to you know, never get their way. It's, totally. And then become extremely resentful, I would imagine. Ab- like it has to go somewhere, possibly. right? Possibly. Absolutely. Likely. Yes. In your experience, what's healthy? Like what's worth getting attached about and what's mm. worth being like, I don't care. Like no dog in this fight. Right, right, right. The trivial is not trivial. Mm. People often think, ah, it's just about the toothpaste or the toilet bowl being up or whatever it is. The, the rim, toilet seat? The toilet seat, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> whatever that thing is called. But being up or down and why do I feel so annoyed at that other person around that? Beneath the rational, there's this whole emotional domain. And so much of conflict is about dealing with that dimension of the conflict. Mm. So, so let me give you an example. There's a concept called autonomy. The freedom to make decisions without somebody else telling us what to do. And this thing is a big deal in, in any relationship. Uh, let me give you an example. M- many years back, before my wife and I were married, we'd been dating in Amherst, Massachusetts for about six months. I go off to do a workshop internationally. I, and I ask, would you mind looking after my apartment while I'm gone? We weren't living together yet. And she said, sure, I'd be happy to take care of the mail, to water the plants. I come back about two weeks later, I walk in that room and I see my room has been almost completely renovated. So (laughs) that thing has been almost completely changed. So the pictures on the wall, different. The the sofa location, different. I I could go on and on. That's amazing. I had this cool hanging construction light in my room and that thing was gone. And in its place now was this colorful butterfly mobile. So I'm like, what the hell is going on? And what do you think I do? You get mad. I get mad. She's not there yet. What do you think I do next after I get mad? You're right. You call her and yell at her? It was not that <laughs> rational, prob- or probably sadly that. You ripped the butterfly mobile down. I start changing this room back to the way it was before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and here's the strange part of that experience, which, which truly puzzled me. My then girlfriend, now wife, Mia, she has a much better sense of style than I do. Right. In other words, the way she had redesigned the room, it looked better. I'm sure it did. So why am I changing the room back to the way it was before? Because she attacked your, your autonomy, or she took away your autonomy. Exactly. In, in other words, it's not about the content. It's about the process. Right. How are we having this conversation? It can be over that toilet seat, or it could be over... You know, you're eyeing that, you know, our friend's spouse a little more than I feel comfortable. The issue doesn't fully matter. It's how we deal with our differences that matters. So what is the, I mean, obviously I can understand, I would be 
I would be irritated if someone redecorated my house while I wasn't without my consent. She's on my team. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Mia. (laughs) I'm on your side on that one. But what what is the appropriate what is what does a healthy conflict or confrontation look like? Yeah. Well, certainly it entails a lot of listening. Mm. The question then is, what are you listening for? When we have conflict, we tend to approach conflicts from a positional place. Mm. I want to go out for, what kind of food do you like? Chinese. You like, oh, see, I do too. This isn't going to be a good conflict here. So let's say you you love Chinese and I much prefer Italian. We're here in Boston right now on Newberry Street. There's amazing Italian. So here you and I are now. We're in the midst of what seems like a trivial conflict. Mm -hmm. You're holding a position. Your position is, I want Chinese. I have a position. I want Italian. Right. What do we typically do? We, we duke it out. We fight it out. We don't look at the underlying interests. Why do you want the Chinese? Is it the spicy food? Is it the atmosphere? Is it that you have some good friends that are going to that same restaurant tonight? Right. If we look beneath the positions to the underlying interests, we are much more effective at dealing with our differences side by side together. The energy is moving together rather than apart. And do you find in many conflicts that people cannot move past, they they don't even necessarily know why they're taking that position? 100%. Yes. And and the most simple and powerful thing you can do is to ask why. Right. You know, why do I want a border wall or this or that? Like, what's the underlying interests? What are the underlying interests? That is power. Mm. You know, let me give you a different example. Let's suppose, do you have nieces? Nephews? I do. I have a niece and a nephew. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. And, and how old are they, if I'm allowed to ask on there? I think four, 13 and 8. Perfect. So you come home after a long, fun, positive, but long day at Goop. Right. <laughs> and, you, and you walk into the kitchen, and there that 13-year-old and the 8-year-old are in that kitchen the refrigerator door is open and they are fighting over the last orange in your refrigerator. And the one says, I want it. No, I want it. And they're acting utterly childish. And what do you do? You walk in, Elise, and what do you say? I throw that orange in the compost. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, my. I say, I can't handle this right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've interviewed Shapiro today. I cannot handle anything more. <laughs> I say, Why? Okay, you are too good. Okay. You're unlike most. <laughs> what do you think? Most people, when I ask this question, you know, the two kids fighting over the orange, what do you think the typical aunt says? I'll split it. Split it. Mm-hmm. And the one child crosses the arms, I don't want half the orange. And the other says, well, I don't want half the orange. <laughs> you know, And very few people do what you actually just noted to ask the question, why do you want the orange? Well, I only asked because you just told me that that's what I was saying. No, okay. <laughs> well, you're a good listener. <laughs> and you look down at that, you know, the eight-year-old, and the eight-year-old looks up and says, you know, auntie, with a dripping nose, right. you know I have this terrible cold. I, I, You know I have this terrible cold. I need the vitamin C. Then you look at your 13-year-old, well, why do you? want this orange and you're in that 13 year old is it the nephew of yours the niece the niece the 13 year old niece crosses her arms and says you know i'm in a cooking class right now a goop cooking class and we're making orange rind pie gluten free gluten free (laughs) (laughs) but what does the 13 year old need the 13 year old needs the rind the rind and the eight year old needs the inside there is no 
ultimate conflict. Right. And the same is true in large-scale international conflicts. I want this land. No, I want this land. This this is the orange repeated in real life in more high-stakes situations. Right. Why do you want the land? Is it for security? Is it you don't want a bad legal precedent? Is it you want to look good to your constituents? A hundred different possible interests. But once you understand those, now we can work together to deal with our differences. Right. No, it makes so much more sense. And I would imagine that people get, because I, I can do that as well, you just get fixed on the outcome, right? You just get fixed on the conflict. Absolutely. And I'm sure, I would imagine there's a lot of reticence too. I mean, when you're like grounded in, particularly mm-hmm. when you're, it's in very emotionally charged, maybe mm-hmm. with a coworker, more appropriately your spouse, like you don't want to even talk about it because you don't want to let go of your position. Absolutely. And, and that ultimately can bring you power as well. What, not letting go? No, not, sorry, not letting go, but knowing that both sides are in that same place. Yeah. Because it only takes the power of one to ask a good question of the other. Mm. You know, help me understand, why don't you want to go out for Chinese tonight? Right. You know, for the past five weeks, we've gone where you wanted to go. I've accommodated. You know, I'm, I'm not asking this in a resentful way or an attacking way. I'm honestly interested in understand. What is it about that Chinese restaurant that you like? How important is it to, and hopefully this doesn't take us off course, but mm-hmm. to know, to have some sort of foundational level of trust with the person that you are in conflict with mm-hmm. and working to negotiate with? Like I was thinking about that as I was reading your book because it feels like if you if they're if you're really in a high stakes like high identity situation where something sacred is at stake, like land, like like Jerusalem, how important is it that you trust that the other, I don't know, that just seems like so essential. And how do you trust someone that you're in conflict with? It's like a weird trust ball. (laughs) Or can you not trust them? And that's the whole point. I think we can work on building an effective process together. We can trust the process without necessarily trusting each other. Okay. Let's agree to deal with our differences side by side. Let's agree to look not at positions, but at underlying interests. Right. Let's agree to be honest and try our hardest in the situation. Yeah. Do you agree to those rules? Yes or no? And do I agree to those rules? Okay, I'll try it. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, you can focus on building a, 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 a credible process without necessarily fully trusting the other person. Mm. I would build into any sort of conversation like that some consequences for good behavior, some consequences for bad behavior. Yeah. You withhold information. Hmm, well, you know, we might move the legal route at some day, at some point. Right. It's interesting, too, how sort of in that stuck position where there is a complete lack of trust, right? And you're not at that emotional layer of why and you're not sort of starting to understand the impetus behind the position. Mm-hmm. How much people will like how people would rather because you you write a lot about these exercises that you do with world leaders where essentially it's like they have to come to some sort of agreement and you kind of set them up to fail which i think is the point but that they have to come to some sort of agreement or the world ends Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting how the world always ends this is frightening it's terrifying (laughs) and you think about that in the context of marriage right and it's like absent the tools people would rather be right than alive or in a functioning marriage. Is that true? Like, 
Do you see that sort of expressed in relationships of varying scales? It's a mindset issue. Mm. I think the most challenging part of conflict resolution is the mindset we bring to the conflict. Mm. And in most conflicts, the mindset is, I call it a tribal mindset, a tribes effect kind of thing. It's me versus you. It's adversarial. And this can be between a husband and wife. Right. You know, all of a sudden, one says or does something that really bothers the other. I love you, but now it's me versus you. Right. Second, it's self-righteous. I know I am right and legitimate. Mm-hmm. And you, honey, are wrong and crazy. Right. <laughs> you know? And number three is that it is an insular mindset. It's a closed mindset. I'm going to argue my perspective. I am going to defend my perspective to no ends. And I am going to close my ears to your perspective. Right. So I'm not learning. I'm arguing like a good lawyer might, a good advocate might. And you're doing the same, which means that we are in this downward spiral. Right. There's a way out. Okay. The way out is to build affiliation. To shift the way we see the conflict. So in other words, it's no longer me versus you. It's now the two of us sitting side by side, facing the same shared problem. You're not the problem, my spouse. I'm not the problem. The problem is here. Where do we go for dinner? How do we divide up these kids in our divorce? That's the problem. Right. Let's sit side by side to problem solve our differences together. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we're building trust as we are moving through conflict. Mm. You brought up divorce and and dividing children, right? I mean, mm. that has to be some of the most loaded. I mean, that is like emotion. It's hate in mm. many instances, right? Like love gone wrong. Yeah. And so, in that instance, is it is that when you sort of define what's sacred together as a couple? Where, mm. Is that how you find the common ground, where you're essentially like the kids are the sacred layer here, therefore everything needs to be focused on their... The, 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 absolutely, yes. Okay. <laughs> the problem is that once our identity feels threatened mm-hmm. as a mother, as a father, as a parent, all of a sudden we go on system overload, emotional system overload to protect that which is most sacred to us. Mm-hmm. Each side's doing that. Now you have a serious international war in the right. household. And the moment my identity gets threatened, there's an experience that I articulate in, in my new book. I call it vertigo. Mm. And it's one that I think we're all familiar with. You know, it is that experience when you get so, when we all get so consumed in a conflict situation that we can think of nothing else other than the conflict. And other than that evil other person who perpetrated this conflict on us. Right. In the midst of vertigo, you know, the the spouse goes to work, but yes, their body is at work, but their mind and their soul is back at home. I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe that they're making me. I can't believe they want to take the kid, you know, at least half the time. He was never around. Come on. You are in vertigo. That's the problem. And the simplest and yet hardest way out of vertigo is to ask yourself, what is my purpose Mm. in this situation? Is my purpose to tear down my spouse for the next 50 years 
while my child is in the corner, you know, crying and now using drugs, (laughs) (laughs) abandoned? Or is my purpose to work with this person around the issue of how we cooperate around the future of our child? Mm. That, I think, would be a much better purpose. And save the emotional resentment, the desire for vengeance for the therapy room, work it out. It's important to work out. I'm not, you know, I'm not mocking that. That's important. I'm not saying don't be emotional, but also be smart in how you deal with your conflict. It's like be emotional, but don't be emotionally attached. So like, how can you recognize, is it in that rumination, in that obsessive looping thinking that you can recognize the vertigo? Yes, absolutely. I was recently working with a group of Israeli and Palestinian diplomats. And we were talking about vertigo and a number of other of these ideas. And I get an email about a week later from one of the participants. And she says to me in the email that she was there at one of the negotiating tables. It was an informal conversation, dialogue with the other side. She said, all of a sudden, I saw that little tornado of vertigo coming right toward me. Mm. They were talking about the sensitive issues. And she said, I then asked myself one question. Do I really want to go there? Mm. Do I really want to enter that cyclone of vertigo? Her response was no. I don't want to go there. My purpose is to have a good productive conversation with the other side and to move forward. In other words, the mere awareness of that word vertigo gave her a label, gave her a choice, gave her power. Mm. You know, so for anybody who is dealing with conflict, if you find somebody else triggering you, bring that word vertigo to mind and ask yourself, do you really want? Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless, high-quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide-ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high-quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the U.S. To explore their rug collections, head to nordicknots.com. Use promo code INNERCIRCLE to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. To go there. Just a second, we're taking a quick break. One of the perks of working at Goop is getting to try the latest recipes that come out of the test kitchen. Our food editors, Caitlin and Anna, are probably the most well-liked people in our office. You might have heard them on the podcast a little while back talking to GP about her new cookbook, The Clean Plate. They're both great. 
Primarily, Caitlin and Anna come up with new recipes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or they're cleaning up some version of a favorite snack. But occasionally, they get into drinks, and that's when you really want to be around the test kitchen for sampling. Caitlin and Anna have gotten pretty prolific with their cocktails using Kettle One Botanical. They did a riff on the classic sea breeze using hibiscus tea, lime juice, and Kettle One Botanical grapefruit and rose. That one might be my favorite. If you want to test it out yourself, check out their recipe on goop.com. Depending on the kind of cocktail you're in the mood for, Kettle One Botanical comes in a couple of other flavors. There's also cucumber and mint and peach and orange blossom. You can shop Kettle One Botanical online at drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Going into 2019, I decided to start drinking more water. My hydration issues were so infamous around the office that my secret Santa gave me an electronic water bottle that syncs up to an app on my phone to remind me to start drinking. I know, it doesn't get much goopier than that. Now, months in, this has turned into something of a competitive sport for me. I feel like I'm always drinking. The first time I had flow alkaline spring water was at our InGoop Health Summit in New York City this March, and it was a big hit. Flow has original alkaline water and then several organic flavor blends, like cucumber and mint, blackberry and hibiscus, and my favorite, in case you're curious, lemon ginger. They're made without the sugar, artificial sweeteners, calories, and GMOs that are unfortunately found in a lot of other grab-and-go options. Flow has more healthy minerals than most bottled waters, and it's naturally alkaline with a pH of 8.1. That means the minerals in Flow, like magnesium, calcium, and potassium, come from the earth, not an artificial process. And what's also appealing about Flow is that you can easily take the packs with you when you're on the go, or far from a good water source. And since we're working on being a plastic-free office, and I try to lead by example at home, I appreciate that Flow is mostly sustainable paperboard packaging, and that their cap is plant-based. Also appreciated, if you sign up for a monthly Flow subscription, you'll save 10% on each order, plus shipping is always free. Head to flowhydration.com for 30% off your order or first month of subscription. Just type in promo code GOOP30 at checkout. That's flowhydration.com and use code GOOP30 for 30% off your order. Okay, back to my chat with Dan Shapiro. How do you work with someone in conflict resolution? Because this is all, this feels very resonant, this idea of like the attachment and the rumination and I've been slighted or, you know, anxiety that it brings up and, and worry. But if you're working with someone, a partner, colleague who is trapped in vertigo and you've managed to sort of extract yourself, like how important is it that that they're not in vertigo before you can arrive? Or can you sort of pull them out by asking them, like, what is the purpose? Oh. What's at stake? What's important to you? I think the What's most- What's driving you? Absolutely, yes. And and so, I mean, to, to put a word to that, it would be appreciation. Mm. My sense is what causes us emotionally to get into conflict much of the time. It's about appreciation. Mm. You don't appreciate me. Right. You cross your arms. And the other side says, well, you don't appreciate me. And soon enough, we get into this stalemate where I say to you, well, I'm not going to appreciate you until you appreciate me. Right. (laughs) And the other side says, well, I'm not going to appreciate you until you appreciate me. And now you are that lovely story of the Zacks, the Dr. Seuss story, those two Zacks, North going and South going Zacks who meet up head to head. And they end up 
nowhere for years as the world gets constructed around them. Right. Appreciation. And here is power as well. The next time you find yourself in a conflict situation, try appreciating the other side's perspective. Asking a question, you know, help me understand where you're coming from. You know, I really don't fully get it and I want to understand what's behind this. To move toward understanding and appreciating the other side's perspective can really unlock emotional deadbolts in, mm. in, in a relationship. What if the other person's side, sort of that that appreciation or, or understanding is so deep and dark and rooted in issues of mm. safety and security that feel completely bigger than like your skill set? Because I've certainly encountered that within friends and, and loved ones where you're sort of like, yes, I could try and take this on, but it mm -hmm. feels so much bigger yeah. based on past experiences and trauma. Like, mm -hmm. when do you, when do you fold? Like, when do you say, I can't deal, I can't, this is too big for me. Right, right. I mean, even somebody trained in psychology or psychiatry might not want to become the psychiatrist of their best friend. Right. I th so I, I, the question I hear you asking is about boundaries. Yeah. How do I set effective boundaries with friends, with a lover, with an enemy? And I, I think it's a good question to ask. One way of making that practical is to ask yourself, what role do I want to play in relation to this other person? Hmm, I find myself starting to be the therapist with my best friend all the time. And I sort of just want to be best friends with that person. Mm -hmm. It's a role conflict. You know, you, you can start to label the roles that you're playing and ask yourself, does this feel resonant with who I am and who I want to be in this relationship? Right. Or if someone continues to bring something into conflict with you that you know, and maybe maybe the answer is it's never bigger than what's happening inside the room, but... I've certainly felt instances where I'm like, there, this is there's something very primal at play here for this person that is at their core of their sense of security and mm -hmm. self. And like maybe it's what's sacred or identity or any some of that work. But like, when is it like, okay, mm -hmm. let's just let's just walk away. Like I can't take, <laughs> I can't take this right on. It depends upon the nature of the relationship. Is it a marriage where you know you're a lot at stake? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or is it a friendship? Is it someone you're sitting with on a bus? Right, exactly. <laughs> the, I, what I hear you saying here, it's really about a concept that Sigmund Freud many years back called the repetition compulsion. Yes. It's the idea that all of us, and it is all of us, we tend to repeat the same dysfunctional patterns of behavior again and again and again and again. Right. And we know we shouldn't, <laughs> but we do. Right. So when my wife and I get into a conflict situation, I mean, you know, at points in time, I know what I'm supposed to say. I know all the theory, all the tools. Yeah, exactly. But suddenly something <laughs> comes out of my mouth and I go, oh, I just could not resist saying that. This is the repetition compulsion. And it, it's sort of this hardwired pattern within us, often that we learn in childhood, often for protective purposes. Yeah that we, re we repeat again and again, assuming that this time the outcome will be different than the 500 times before. Right. Assuming that my outburst at you this time is going to get you to listen rather than not. And so the ultimate goal of this repetition compulsion is hopeful, it's optimistic. 
but it's not functional. Right. And this is the hard part. You know, I mean, just to look within, to think about a relationship in your own real life, one where you are stuck, you repeat the same kind of conflict again and again. Get out a piece of paper, as mechanical as this might feel, and just plot down what does that argument look like? Who starts it? What are they feeling? Who says something next and why? And you now can see that which you have been feeling and acting. And when you see it, you have power once again, because now you can decide, well, maybe here I won't act out. I'll walk out of the room for a few minutes and take a few meditative breaths. It brings you power. The twist to all of this is that to try to change any of these really ingrained behaviors feels utterly unnatural. Yeah. All I want to do is yell at you once more. Right. But I know I shouldn't. Change feels unnatural. It feels like it's not honoring my identity. Yeah. But that's the most challenging part of change itself. If you can do that five times in a row, you've changed yourself and your relationship for the better. Right. It's true. It does. It like violates your identity in a way where some like sometimes you're holding on to something that's not serving you. Right. Absolutely. That's like the biggest conundrum of them all. Like our attachment to ourselves as we are and then our desire to be different. Mm hmm. But the same. But the same, exactly. But familiar. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, these are fraught political times, too. And I feel like there's so much we tend we're demonizing each other dramatically Mm -hmm. throughout sort of the United States. I mean, really more globally, obviously. But here, too, it feels like. And again, I, I imagine it's the same, right? The dismantling, the conversation of like, what what is at stake for you Mm -hmm. or what do you value? When I think about like political discord or, and there's just, how do you foster that? I want to get back to to one-on-one relationships, but how do, how can we collectively do a better job of fostering that in a bigger way? I think this is one-on-one relationships. I I mean, this certainly is. The politics has seeped into everyday conversations at work and family over the Thanksgiving table. The first question around politics is, do you want to have the conversation? Right. Are you emotionally capable, not just of asserting and defending, but listening right. and learning? Right. And if the answer is yes, then you can start to move into that conversation. And here, once again, I think that most powerful tool is the power of appreciation. Mm. And what does it mean to appreciate? It, it's not just, let me try and understand your perspective. You know, it, it's not just... <laughs> like the engineer's version of understanding. No offense, engineers back there. You guys are awesome. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's un- I understand your perspective. I see the value, the merit behind it. And I'm letting you know. Mm. You know, so, so it's not just I understand, but you're wrong. You know, but that word, but is the great eraser. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I understand you, but it's not that. It's a, I, here's what I hear you saying. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, not exactly. Here's our thinking on that political issue. Well, that's it. But why that? Help me understand. And I just said, but. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. 
It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. Spring cleaning is coming a little late to the Luna and Fismer household this year, but I'm very excited about it. I love a good Marie Kondo session, and a full cleanup feels particularly necessary after the season we've just had in Los Angeles. Yes, we had a season. Yes, it rained as much as I've ever seen here, which means two things. The wildflowers blooming right now are next level, and we've had a lot more indoor time than usual with our cats. Maybe your Achilles heel is pet dander, or maybe it's pollen. But if you've ever felt like it's impossible to really do a clean sweep at home, you should check out LG's line of AFA certified appliances. For the uninitiated, that's the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. And LG came up with a suite of products that passes muster. There's the PuriCare 360 degree air purifier. There's the LG Styler that uses steam to help tackle everything from clothing to pillows and plush toys. And there's the front load washer. If ever there was a washing machine to get excited about, this would be it. LG has something called Turbo Wash 360 degree technology, which means five powerful jets get large loads really clean in under 30 minutes while still being gentle on your clothes, which means fewer loads of laundry every week. What's also different about LG washers is that they have an allergene cycle to help do away with most common household allergens like dust mites and pet dander. You can learn more about LG's front load washer and the rest of LG's asthma and allergy friendly certified home appliances if you head to lgusa.com backslash home free. That's lgusa.com backslash home free. And now back to today's conversation. I'm asking you this because I know you've seen it all. So are there instances where it's like where it is so evil. I mean, there are times when I'm like, could I sit down with like a white nationalist? Like, do you feel like everyone is movable? Like everyone at the end of, at the bottom of their hearts, like is inspired to be good and do good. Like I can't imagine sitting down with a neo-Nazi and like bringing them around, but. Well, there are two sentences, there are two thoughts (laughs) in what you just said. I can't imagine sitting down with a neo-Nazi. That's piece one. And piece two and bringing them around. In other words, reforming their evil ways. And, right. and now, now I, I agree with that notion. I'm not in any sense pro-neo-Nazi. The goal is not necessarily to change their way of thinking. If that's the goal, there's a wholly different strategy that one would want to do. Okay. You know, to sit down with somebody on one side or the other side of the political spectrum, I think the goal is really to deeply understand their perspective. Mm. where are you coming from? Help me truly understand. 
I don't get your thinking on this policy. What's it based on? Oh, 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 this goes back to some religious tenets you hold. I didn't realize that. Tell me about your family. Well, my dad, he was a staunch, you know, political in this direction. My mom was this. My grandparents were this. And that's why I am who I am. Okay, so you want to honor your family. You want to honor the legacy of your family in terms of your beliefs. Help me understand your beliefs more. I think you would be marvelous, honestly, at interviewing a, a, a neo-Nazi. And I think you would learn a tremendous amount. We, I would learn a tremendous amount from interviewing a neo-Nazi. And, and it's not at all to say I agree with you. Right. It's not at all to say I am here to give credibility or legitimacy to what you stand for. It's simply to say, you know what, you're a human being. Right. <laughs> and I want to, if I do want to, understand what you're thinking, why you're thinking it. If we're going to be all living together in this United States, what are some of your underlying interests? Is it that the economy has been shipped out to other parts of the country and you're fearful and fearful and you've clung to the banner of neo-Nazism? Mm -hmm. Or is it the fact that you just hate you know, Jews or somebody else? Well, help me understand why. Right. What's beneath that? And I'm looking beneath just the slogan neo-Nazi to who this person is, what values and beliefs are really motivating them. Not that I agree. Right. Absolutely not that I agree. But by understanding, it actually makes me much more powerful. Right. If I want to influence a neo-Nazi, the worst way to do so is to walk up to that person face to face with my weak arms right here and say, you know what? You're totally wrong, man. Right. <laughs> you know, And let me show my muscle. The best way, I think, would be to say, before I can change your mind, I need to understand where your mind is at. Mm -hmm. Help me understand what's motivating you. And once that information comes out, you know what? We might be able to do a joint project here. I, I don't know what the neo-Nazi, <laughs> I mean, that's an extreme example. No, but, but it, yeah. But let me give you a different example. Right here in Boston, we have some colleagues many years back, initially secretly brought together people, uh, leaders on both sides of the abortion debate. Mm. And this was after there had been some killings outside of abortion clinics. And these leaders got together and said, you know, something needs to be done. The first few meetings with these, I think it was five women leaders, their arms were crossed. Nobody was listening to anybody. They met for years and they started to deeply understand what was motivating each side. Nobody came around and said, okay, I'll come to your side on this issue. Right. But they realized we actually have a lot of shared interests. None of us want teenage pregnancies. Right. We don't want people getting shot and murdered in, in the streets. Let's work on some of these issues together and let's build a network, a hotline. If we hear of any information about a potential violent situation that might ensue, let's get that information out. Mm -hmm. Very different perspectives. But by looking more deeply to their narratives, to their identities, to what's driving them, all of a sudden, yes, we are different, but we are also the same on some levels. Totally. I mean, it's, it's that's one of those issues where I'm like, no one wants to have an abortion. Like, I don't mm. know, you know, like, mm -hmm. clearly that is not, no, right. there are very few people who are like, wow, this is a great contraceptive. Mm -hmm. Like, can't wait to get my abortion this month. So right. I think, you know, that seems like common ground. But it's interesting to even think about those two immediately mm. enraging 
examples, right? Regardless of where you stand, and it's so fraught. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's that it's helpful in a way to like sort of emotionally put yourself in those situations? Like if you're mad at your wife or you're mad at, I mean, mm. not to say, oh, if I can get through this with a neo-Nazi, I can get through with my husband. But like, mm-hmm. is there value in sort of understa- working through mentally how you would, because you can almost have an emotional response, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To think through like really, really heightened extreme examples of like how you need to learn how to negotiate better. The, the, I'm not sure I was following you totally, but let me answer your question. <laughs> I don't think I followed myself. <laughs> no, I don't follow myself ever. So I'm happy you at least are able to keep a conversation going. The fault is mine. Wait, I had a thought in connection to your thought. This is terrible. We're on a podcast and I can't remember my thought. It was, so I said, like, is it? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I remember. Practice. Yes. Like, so practically speaking, yeah. the most useful tool in my work with leadership, with families that are struggling is once again, that notion of appreciation, which mm-hmm. sounds so simple, but it's so hard. Yeah. And one way that I often do this is let, let's say, can I ask about your yeah, romantic life. Are you, yeah, I'm married. I have ma- two little kids, two little boys. Okay, so you're married. And you have two little. Let's say you are in the midst of a just heated. Uh, for the viewer out listening, there not viewer. I guess listener. The, the listener, yeah. <laughs> the viewer for the viewer. Wow, you have extra powers. Uh, for the listener, Elise started to get a little anxious right now. <laughs> She's like, "Where's he going? Crunching. I'm in control." Yeah. <laughs> let's say you got into a dispute with 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 your husband. One of the most powerful tools that I tend to do with people is just you know, have you literally move outside the chair that you're sitting in right now. Mm. Sit over here on this second empty chair right here. And I'd ask you to become your husband. Mm. And you're going to talk like he would talk. You're going to act like he would act. You are feeling as he is. You are him. And I start to ask you questions. You know, well, tell me about the conflict. Let's do it. So, well, first, give, give me your side of the story, just to get this for a, se- a minute. Yeah. I come home from work, and this would be our most common source where I get irritated. And yeah. like, or let's say I've taken the boys on a play date on the weekend, and I come home, and it's clear he's usually, because I've warned him that I'm coming home, he'll be at the sink, like, doing a few dishes. <laughs> but, like, nothing has been, I've left him, like, the house for like three hours right. and he has clearly been watching TV. Yes. And so that's typically where the conflict starts. Cause I'm like, I've been chasing kids. Like, what have you been doing? Right. Right. And, and at that moment, how do you feel? You walk in, the dishes are three fourths still not done. Mm-mm. The house is a mess. The TV, the football's on in the background. Extremely irritable. If, 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 and, and why are you feeling that way? Because... It feels selfish and like, how dare he take three hours, which is nothing. I mean, I get that this is not rational. No, no, no. To, don't take his side now. Oh, we oh, are with oh, you. Okay. <laughs> because like I gave him an opportunity unencumbered to take care of all of this stuff and he wasted it. He wasted it. Yeah. And let me run down a list of things. Tell me if any of these fit. And these now are... I have to nag him. And now you have to nag him yes. even more. Yes. yes. So not only has he not done what he was supposed to do, but now you have to play the role of mother to your husband. Yes. And appreciation. How much are you feeling at this point? Zero. Zero. It sounds negative. I am really worked up. (laughs) That's one. Autonomy. How free do you feel to tell him what to do at this point in time? 
I don't want to tell him at all. I just want to ex- energetically express my rage. I do. <laughs> What's the connection like? At this point, friendly? Andrew. No, and he's irritated that I'm irritated, <laughs> and he feels guilty, but that guilty has now been supplanted by irritation. You're going back to his emotions. Stick oh, with sorry, yours. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you're feeling negative appreciation. Yes. Boy, I have to assert my autonomy. I don't want to. Yeah. Connection, it's adversarial. Status, this is another big deal in conflict. Do you feel put down by this, raised and elevated. I'd imagine you feel put down by this. Yeah, like I feel disrespected. My Again, I'm mom to my husband, and this isn't the role I signed up for. Right. Makes sense. Yes. Can we switch you to a different seat? Now, this yeah. is a little awkward with the microphone here. Here, I'll just okay, the other side. position. <laughs> now, could you, uh, I, I don't know what I'm allowed to ask you. You can ask me anything. Your husband's name. For Rob. Me. Rob. Now, sit like Rob. I'm in a man's bed. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting very awkward. Yes. <laughs> no, so you're Rob now. And and Rob, I'm going to start from scratch. Uh, so what's your first name? Elise. No, 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 oh, no, no. Rob. Yeah, so let me try it again. What's your first name? Rob. So Rob, and tell me a little bit about yourself first before we get into the conflict. Who are you? I'm a quiet, reserved guy, dad of two, husband, dutiful hardworking. What's your favorite thing to do in the world? Play hockey. Play hockey? That's yeah. awesome. So, and are you a professional hockey player? You and Well, it's my secret fantasy that the <laughs> LA Kings are going to need a goalie and I'm going to be out of my beer league and I'm going to get pulled up for a night. Gotcha. And, and now I, I understand you have a wonderful relationship with your wife. I've met your wife. She's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Phen- <laughs> And I, you know, I understand you also have those everyday points of tension. Mm-hmm. Could you describe for me what happens? You know, at least she goes off a few hours with the kids, comes back. What happens at those points in time from your perspective? I really need alone time. I work with people. I have social, I like, I need, I have social anxiety. I want to be alone. I want to mm-hmm. relax. And I really want to watch hockey and catch up on work. And so I use the, I know, and I also have ADHD. So I like know that I'm supposed to do some stuff, but then I get distracted Mm -hmm. and then I feel bad Mm -hmm. and I try and like hop to, but I know it's not enough. Yes. You know, it's not enough, meaning you should be doing more around the house or what do you mean? You know, it's not enough. I know it's not, I know it's not enough for Elise. Got it. Okay. So Elise walks in three hours later with the kids what happens now from your perspective? From my perspective, she's a me- she sees she sees me for who I am. She knows I haven't done anything besides watch TV and do some work. How you how you feeling? Guilty. You're feeling guilty? Yeah. She looks at you. She looks at and me. And she has that I feel I like hop to, I know she's going to be irritated, so I try mm. to like get stuff done and mm-hmm. and head it off. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And sort of be doing something positive when she gets home. And then immediately I know that she's pissed and then I'm pissed because it's like, come on, give me a break. And so come on, give me a break and say more about that. What are you feeling at that point in time? I'm feeling like I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. I can't give any more. And can't you just leave me alone? Are you feeling appreciated by Elise at that point in time? No, it's never enough. Why not? 
because her standards are not achievable by a normal person. Okay, so they are they're insurmountable standards. Yes. I needed three hours to take a deep breath. I needed three hours to, to watch, you know, to do a little relaxation, watch my hockey, catch up on work. And she has these expectations of me that are insurmountable. Yeah. She comes back home. And how are you feeling now? Pissed. Do you know what's interesting, Elise? I'll tell you just for a moment. Just put put Rob aside. <laughs> You're saying pissed, but I don't feel pissed from you. Sad. No, no, no. It's pissed. <laughs> but if you are Rob and he's seriously talking to me, how is he going to say that he's pissed? I'm pissed. There you go. Okay. <laughs> That's it. And and to take it away for just a moment from yeah. your, your, the situation with you and Rob, it is not until we can get to that place mm-hmm. where one party in a conflict really not just understands, but feels what it's like to be on the other side, in yeah. the other shoes. That's when the whole energy, that whole emotional dynamic shifts. Totally. Now I get it. Yeah. It's not that I know Rob's pissed, but you know what? Now I understand that he's pissed. Yeah. Like he's pissed. He's not feeling like I'm appreciating who he is as a person and all he brings. And of course I do. Yeah. But he's not feeling it. He's feeling little, put down. Yeah. As I walk in, I'm the superior one. Totally. And I'm judging him. And you're judging him. Yeah. And notice the, and this happens in almost any conflict. You're both craving, perhaps, the same basic things. Rob says, I want to feel appreciated for who I am. And you say, I want to feel appreciated for all I've done. I've been with the kids for three hours. I've given you a break. We each want the appreciation. You're saying... Look, I want to feel high in status and importance, you know, not arrogantly so, but I want to be to to feel like the respected wife in this relationship. And I feel put down mm-hmm. when you don't do anything for those three hours. And Rob says, you know what? You walk in those three hours later, you judge me, you make me feel put down. You're experiencing the same thing at a deeper level. Right. And it, it's through these kinds of understandings that one can then start to think through, okay, but what do we do then? And I think the road then is quite clear. What can you say or do to better appreciate Rob? Right. And what can he say and do to better appreciate you? Totally. Yeah. No, exactly. That's where I, and I think some of it, it's like that movie, The Breakup with Jennifer Aniston, which you've probably never seen. With Just with kids. I'd watch it otherwise. Um, <laughs> so. And they, she's in a relationship with Vincent. Vaughn and then they break up and there's this line where she says it's they have this fight up they have the disillusion of their relationship and it seems to be about like there's this one final fight about the dishes and she's like I don't just want you to do the dishes I want you to want to do the dishes Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. such a like yes I don't know it seems it seems sort of at the center (laughs) of these things but I feel like I want and I remember this fight early on where Rob, I was like going to visit him and I wanted him to pick me up from the train station in his car. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was kind of dangerous to walk, mm. but I wanted him to know to pick me up in this car and to offer. And mm-hmm. he was like, and I came, I walked and I was pissed. Mm-hmm. He was like, why didn't you just ask me? Right. right. But I think too, so much of it is like, if I just, instead of being like, please do mm-hmm. the right thing while I'm with the kids and just do these like three mm-hmm. small things that will only take 15 minutes. I just need to say it. Yeah, and, and I feel like it speaks to a deeper craving that we all have to be known. Totally. Deeply known. There's the one final question that could be a lingering question. 
which is okay. I understand how he feels. I understand how I feel. So what? Right. <laughs> you know? And I, that brings us back to that idea of shifting the nature of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not me versus Rob. It's the two of us facing the same shared problems. How are we going to deal with the kids? How are we going to clean the house? How are we going to decide who does what in our house? And then comes the question, how can you approach that conversation with Rob? Mm-hmm. One way is to walk in. I'm not saying you would do this. <laughs> I can feel your, you know, your compassionate nature. But you can imagine some walking in and saying, you know what, Rob? You're a complete bastard. Mm-hmm. I've just spent three hours with the kids. You know, I love our kids, but there are other things, I, you know, some good friends I would have wanted to catch up with. You need to change. And of course, Rob's response is, no, I'm working all the time. You need to change and you get nowhere. Mm-hmm. How do you shift the conversation? And one of the simplest pieces of advice to do is to ask advice. Mm. Rob, I feel stuck. You know, I've noticed that every time I come home on those Saturdays, we get into some sort of conflict. I don't want that. You don't want that. Do you have any ideas on how we could deal with this thing differently? Mm. And here's some things I was thinking about. What were you thinking about? And suddenly it's not me versus Rob. It is Rob and Elise, the two of us sitting side by side, facing the same shared problem. Mm. Totally. And that's the mind shift. And those are some of the tools to get you there. I love that. Because I think the who cares thing is so important. Because there are times, too, when I think we're both sort of out of energy. So we just spend the rest of the weekend kind of being slightly irritated with each other, Mm -hmm. like amicable. Mm -hmm. But this is much healthier. And you're humans. (laughs) You know, (laughs) No, I mean, at the end of the day, I think there, especially when you get to relationships, romantic relationships or Israeli and Palestinian relationships. I think everybody's looking for the quick fix. Totally. What's what's the answer to dealing with my conflict with my husband or wife who treats me in a crappy way? Well, it takes work. It takes work. Yeah. But ideally, you're not having the same conversation in 10 years, right? This is true. Well, you know what? That's not true. That's not true. There is some substantial research that shows... (laughs) that your, your listeners are going to hate this, but the conflicts that most people have in a romantic relationship tend to stick with them forever. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact numbers, but like 60 or 80% of the conflicts, if you're fighting over that toilet seat now, likely when you're 85 years old or 105 years old, you'll still be fighting over it. You know, In other words, it's not the what that's the problem. It's the how. Right. And And this is where... Most people don't even think about how to deal with conflict until they get deep into it. From my perspective, the opposite is the most useful. Sit down on a sunny afternoon with your romantic partner or with that parent who you've had some distance with. Sit down with that person and say, and have an honest, open conversation. We haven't been getting along as well as we could. It pains me that we haven't been getting along Can we talk about some ways that we can try and improve our communication? Are you open to that conversation? Yes or no? And it's not about who's right and who's wrong. The question is about the how. Mm. How can we have this conversation? Mm. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing to connect with you. (laughs) Thank you. And Rob. And Rob. Poor Rob. He's always on the podcast, unwittingly. (laughs) Well, you know what? Last thought here. We'll have to all go out for a celebratory uh, drink with my <laughs> wife and, and we'll all commiserate about each person's 
ailments and strengths. <laughs> Appreciate it. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Dan Shapiro. I've already started implementing a couple of the things he recommended. You can learn more about his work at danshapiroglobal.com and pick up a copy of his book, Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. That's it for today's episode. I hope you have a chance to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. You can always find more on goop.com slash the podcast. And on Thursday, I'll be back here with the co-host of our brand new spinoff podcast, Goop Fellas. See you then.